0: Like, oh. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I didn't, Julia. I'm graduate of Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills.
1: I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I'm do this
0: all day. The Matt Sodnicka Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sadnikar. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your feedback. I do appreciate it. And uh, a lot of people ask where I, I meet these people and have these conversations. And quite honestly, I just listen and I'm curious. And today's conversation is no different. And with me today is Michelle Krasniak. She's a content marketing professional and this podcast kind of started as a business podcast and Michelle, I wanted to run a business idea by you. I was going to quit my job, move to Costa Rica and open a food truck. What do you think about that idea?
1: I think we need to sit down and have a couple beers and discuss how that is probably not the best idea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now it's your show. Do tell why that's a bad idea.
1: (laughs) Um, So you sort of talked about my story. One part I do have to correct is I uh, was not, I was actually freelancing. I'd been a freelance um, copywriter for 10 years and I did like um, digital and social media marketing consulting. So yeah, from like 2008 to 2018, I was doing that. Um, And then I went to grad school and um, I was coming up on graduation around... The fall of 2015, actually, Um, I was going to graduate in the spring of 2016, and I kind of had the, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Uh, What am I going to use this new grad degree for? Um, It was, it's kind of like in a marketing management type um, field, and so I'm like, do I want to go back to work for someone else, you know, after being on my own for so long? Um, and so, uh, I had the freedom to do some traveling and I was like, you know what, I'll travel, kind of think about it, figure things out. Um, so I went to, uh, Central America and I traveled around for about three months. Um, and I landed in Costa Rica. That was kind of my home base. I, um, stayed there. I had a little, um, cottage there and then kind of traveled all around from there. Um, and I loved it. I fell in love with it, um, and it kind of all came together because I was looking for something to do. I was married at the time. Uh, I was looking for something to do. My um, ex-husband was also kind of coming to a crossroads in his career. Um, So we're like, let's move here. Let's make this happen. Um, And the rest is Craigslist history.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Craigslist history. all right that is a great trailer okay now let's let's hit play on the movie so take me through um, yeah the the story
1: yeah so at that point uh, i i looked on craigslist i don't know why like i don't know what possessed me to look on costa rican craigslist uh, but i did and uh, came across an ad for a food truck being sold by um, an expat, an American named Terry. Um, And so I got in in touch with Terry and asked some questions about it. And, you know, um, at the time, the food truck was set up to sell uh, like American fare. So burgers, fries, uh, stuff like that. And first thing I thought was, nobody wants burgers and fries in 95 degree weather on the beach. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that is a thing. Um, I'm with you
0: on that. Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, so, you know, the first thought was kind of like, all right, well, that's not going to be what, you know, we'll make this truck be. Um, but you know, we'll get that, we'll get to that when we come to it. Um, and so my, uh, I'll just call him Jeff. Jeff went down and, um, looked at the truck, checked it out mechanically, didn't know what he was looking for, but, you know, it's got four wheels, got an engine, uh, it starts. So two thumbs up, um, came back and we're like, let's just do it. Let's just do it. You know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Um, you know, we, you know, didn't have any children. So it was like, we had the freedom to do that. And, um, so the plan was we purchased it in the fall of 2015. The plan was when I graduated May of 2016, uh, we would move down there. And that's what happened.
0: Did you have any food experience up to that point?
1: Other than hating to cook? No. No. (laughs) So that actually really kind of became a thing where, because all my friends and family knew I didn't like to cook. And uh, so it was like, so you bought a food truck? Yeah, I bought a food truck. And you hate to cook. Yeah, I hate to cook. Okay, so how, how is this going to work? And I'm like, I don't know. I'll figure it out when I get down there. <laughs> um, but it actually it wasn't that bad because we knew that we wanted to retrofit it um, to be more uh, kind of like location friendly food. So um, like smoothies and ice cream and just kind of like the lighter, lighter fare that you would actually want to eat in hot weather on the beach. Um, so that was always the plan was to kind of, you know, get that work done.
0: So I want to get back to the food truck, but I have questions about how you make decisions. So this (laughs) like and and, and again, taking the end result out of it, like, are you more methodical when it comes to decisions? Because as you're talking about uh, Jeff and that I've made decisions that way, too, about careers and just sort of like, hey, this is my guts telling me and I'm attracted to it because it's new and exciting. What is your, I guess, if you're making a life decision, how do you standard usually approach it?
1: Um, it depends on the size of the life decision, how expensive failing would be. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not afraid to fail. Um, I, I really, I don't even like to use the words fail. Um I just, if I, you know, I do go with my gut. Um, and if, you know, but I also kind of do look at it logically. So it's not like, oh, you know, uh, rose-colored glasses, everything's going to be perfect. It is kind of, you know, once I made the decision, a lot of research went into that, um, including, you know, research into regulations and um, labor laws and location, you know, everything. Like we we definitely did do, once we made the decision to buy it and bought it, we did do a lot of research on how to uh, go about making it happen. So it wasn't like we went down there and we're just like, all right, we're here. Where should we start? we did a lot of planning um, prior we had about nine nine or ten months um, between purchasing it and moving where we did a lot of the planning to um, kind of like the background stuff
0: so a lot of the homework to support that decision yeah. and give it the best likelihood of success yeah, yeah. I like that that's cool um, so what did you what did you rename the food truck
1: so it actually kind of worked out perfectly because, uh, I needed a capstone project for grad school. And, um, because of the field that I was in or the, what I was getting my degree in, um, I decided to do the kind of rebranding and, um, like, uh, go to market plan for the food truck. Part of that was renaming it and, you know, doing a new look. So I renamed it the salty pineapple.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Uh, And the story behind that was I was being really crabby one day and I don't know (laughs) what, I don't know what the context was, but I was being really, really crabby and somebody was just like, wow, you're salty today. And so that was that. And then I was always kind of looking for, you know, kind of like a symbol that was representative of the area. So surfboard, you know, something tropical. So pineapples, pineapples are huge down there. Uh, So yeah, I was just like salty pineapple. Okay, it just came to me and I was just like that's it and I just loved it. I mean to this day I love it. I love the name. I think I still actually have the website cuz I don't want anyone else to take the name.
0: I think it's a great name. It's like <laughs> the, it's a there's the contradiction. It's visual. It's there's no way it's going to be misspelled or mispronounced and it's, yes. it's clever. So yes. and branding it good in Spanish.
1: That was another thing is that it had to sound good in Spanish as well. It wasn't just going to be like sound good in, in English. Um, I did want it to be, you know, Spanish friendly. So um, it did sound good
0: there too. What is Spanish for salty pineapple? Uh,
1: it was like la piña. Uh, I think it was, I forget. Salida. That might be exit. It's Selina. La, la piña Selina. I believe it is.
0: Oh, sweet. It rhymes even yeah. better.
1: Yeah. It's probably cool. wrong. And your your um, listeners will probably be like, need to correct her Spanish. But it's <laughs> been years, people. It's been about six years. So
0: I In no way, A Rebuild is a Spanish language podcast. Exactly. So it's okay. <laughs> Pina Salina, I love it. All right. So uh, you do the research, 10 months of research. And then you've moved. You bought the food truck what's next?
1: Yeah. Then it was time to, uh, we, we didn't, we had zero assets at the time. Like we didn't buy a house. You know, we had had a house previously. We had sold it and moved to another one, um, in preparation for being able to kind of live very lightly. Um, and so we got rid of every, literally everything. Um, the only thing that we kept were kind of like personal mementos. So, you know, things, photo albums and stuff and those went in storage. Um, but we moved to Costa Rica where we had three suitcases apiece um, and a cat that was fun uh, and yeah, we arrived and as soon as we soon as we touched down it was um it was it was a learning experience so uh, we, yeah, I had made arrangements for a long-term car rental and, and we rented a house. Um, it was about a mile away from the beach. Um, and then the truck was currently like in, in a storage unit in San Jose, downtown San Jose. Um, so, you know, it was in a safe place, but we were planning to move the truck, um, to the house we were renting, store it there, do the work there and, and all that. Um, but, you know, as we're, turning on the road for the house. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with um, different, like um, kind of stru- structural issues in different countries. So basically, potholes that are maybe a foot and a half deep. Basically, oh, like
0: oh, like no. picture it,
1: you're going through forest. You're like deep in, you know, in like a state forest or whatever. And you have your Jeep that, you have a jack for the Jeep because you know you're going to have to essentially lift your car out of these holes. That's what these potholes were like. Um, Obviously we didn't need to lift our car out of it, but it was not something that a front wheel drive, I think it was like a 77 or 78 truck, um, box truck, (laughs) essentially converted box truck could make it through. Um, So right away we're like not getting the truck here. So whatever needs to be done, we're going to have to do it on site at the storage place. So that was <laughs> indicator number one that this is a very interesting experience.
0: The first warning light goes off. <clears throat> <laughs> How far away was the house and the storage facility? What was an the- hour
1: and a half. Oh <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, making that trip, um, you know, quite frequently you get used to it, but it doesn't make it any better because it's driving in Costa Rica and they're crazy, um, drivers are And we were warned by numerous people, um, that, and I don't, it was a warning from expats. I can't speak to whether or not it was a thing, but, um, be careful of people purposely crashing into you. <laughs> so basically like, don't make any sudden stops because people look for reasons They, you know, they see you as a foreigner and they look for reasons to, um, to, you know, kind of get into an accident with you because if you're a foreigner driving in Costa Rica, you can't leave until a court case is, is all settled. Um, so the idea the horror stories were that people crash see your foreigner crash into you, knowing that you're pro- most likely on vacation. So you're just going to want to pay quickly to get to be done with it and sure. to be able to leave the country. Um, so, that was
0: did you ever get hit in the food truck?
1: No, no, I did not. Um, although the food truck, the food, <laughs> the food truck is manual, um, and I don't know how to drive manual. <laughs> Um, I, and we, I didn't have a car to practice on before I went. So we went to like this driving simulator, um, and I kept crashing the simulator. So, you know, the teacher would look at us like, I I don't know what to do with her. Like she's (laughs) crashing the simulator. Like she can't drive the simulator. How is she going to drive this truck? Uh, (laughs) Um, there was a lot of playing around. I, to this day, the transmit, I don't know what's, I don't wanna give spoiler alert, but the transmission's probably shot just from me trying to drive <laughs> the truck because San Jose, it's all hills, it's all hills. So I'm learning to drive manual transmission on hills. Um, and yes, and I know I, I learned, I heard a few Spanish swearing phrase. I'm assuming they're based on the finger gestures. I'm assuming they were swearing
0: at me. Um, but Um Oh, you don't think they're offering encouragement for your food truck business?
1: <laughs> no, no, because it probably, you know, they have uh, they have rush hour, too. So I probably should not have attempted to drive the truck, test drive the truck during rush hour in San Jose. Uh, yeah.
0: I, I have to admit, even at this point of the story, I'm so impressed by just your just diving into it i mean there's already so many things you've covered that would make so many other people like one of these things would make people just tilt and pass out and you're just you know
1: (laughs) dealing with it as it comes it's right uh, it's kind of i'm the type of person where and i say this at work all the time well i don't know how to do it but i'll figure it out and I always do, I, whatever I have to do, I'll figure it out.
0: So I want to explore that a little bit. Have you cultivated that resilience or that mindset? How did that come about?
1: Yeah, I, I think that, um, according to my therapist, because we've talked about this much, uh, many times, uh, I think it has <laughs> a lot to do with being, um, a second born child, Uh, so my older sister, um, you know, as firstborns, you know, frequently are needed a lot more, a lot, a lot of hands-on, uh, attention. Um, so I was kind of left to my own devices, not neglected. So mom, if you're listening not saying you neglected me at all. Um, but I always, you know, kind of being a quiet child, I liked to play alone and, you know, just play quietly. So I think that over time, Um, it, it just became like, oh, Michelle's okay. Oh, she's just, you know, playing Barbies by herself. Um, so that just over the years have kind of morphed into, um, you know, being by myself, um, just like, you know, I, I gotta figure it out. It's, it's either not going to get done, um, when it needs to get done, or, um, I'm not going to be able to do a lot of things in life if I'm not willing to take that chance.
0: Cool. <clears throat> so we're going an hour and a half to the storage unit to get mm-hmm. it fixed up. So what did that do to your, your timeline to get the truck converted from the burger thing to the okay. Pina Salina? So in addition to not knowing how,
1: not liking, <laughs> not liking to cook, not knowing how to drive stick. Um, I also, I don't know how to weld. Like, I don't know how, and it's not exactly something where I'm like, Oh, let me get a welding kit off of Amazon and teach me, you know, big be- welding for beginners yeah. and teach myself. Um, so all of this stuff, you know, stuff in a food truck is built in. I mean, that's stuff that's like welded in. Um, so this was going to have to, like, we needed some help. We needed to get professionals in there to help us rebuild this. Um, and that's where the idea or the sad fact that there were no there were four other at the time four other food trucks in Costa Rica the entire country um it was a very new industry so there were no um excuse me there were no like regulations The, the the uh path wasn't paved essentially like we were making it up as we went as was everyone else it wasn't like you know there were um you know, clubs that we could join or other people, you know, I tried talking to the owners of the other ones, but, you know, because it is such a, it was such a um, burgeoning industry um, and they were, they were trailblazers. They don't really want to share, you know, all of the secrets with newbies. Um, So we weren't getting any help from other people. Um, So we're like, okay, we, Literally have no way to make this work. Like we can't find anyone to work on the truck. Um, so we're like, well, we'll try to find the tools ourselves. Going around finding, trying to find like restaurant supply stores and, um, you know, places we can get welding equipment. It, it was just, it was so, it was just one thing after another. It, it was kind of like, you get to a point where um, you, you're you not even, um kind of you don't feel bad about things when they crop up anymore because you're just like "Mm, whatever yet another thing add that to the (laughs) list of stuff I have to you know take care of or overcome um so it was and yeah it was it was challenging it was kind of like where do we even start because nobody was there to kind of help us
0: yeah you were a category creator down there to spin a marketing term. Um, Yeah.
1: And I I think that if either of us had um, like, it wasn't possible to drive, we had talked about driving the truck, you know, maybe up to like Texas and finding somebody uh, finding somebody there. But I'm like, are you driving that 78 box car box truck to Texas from? I'm not. So I don't know how you're going to get that there. I'm, I support you in that, but I'm not going to, I'm not, I already drive with a machete in the, in the truck for protection. I'm not driving that through Central America and then all through Mexico. Um, so we, we kind of weigh different options of how to get this work
0: done. (laughs) Yeah. And I I love your mindset too, about the problems just stopped, having an emotional component, I think for a while, it's just like, Hey, Mm -hmm. we've got to do this. And it's something I had to learn as an adult because I would get so uh, either anxious or upset when something went wrong and I would take it personal. And I had to learn to disconnect my emotions from the task at hand and just go like, you know, this, shelf doesn't have a personality. It's not doing it to me on purpose. It's an inanimate object. And it's just, you know, just that I had to learn the, the quiet resolve to go fix something and keep working on it. And, and it was a skill I had to curate. And it wasn't easy for me because I just throw up my hands and, you know, this is impossible. And it just over yeah therapy and books and everything else like Mm -hmm. learning how just to be i would say uh neutrally optimistic if i was going to make up a term for approaching stuff where it's like hey man shit's gonna go wrong like uh, you know and i think it was really just becoming more capable that then was sort of this expanding concentric circle of Confidence because I worked on something small, and then it, that was something else, and that's something else, and yeah. So, all right, so keep going. <laughs> all right,
1: so, so unfortunately, um, there, yeah, you're completely 100% right about having to um, cultivate the ability to kind of detach, uh, detach from the out, you know, the outcome Detach from what's going on and in the kind of stress related to it. Um, unfortunately at the same time, we had a lot of kind of like personal setbacks, um, happen. Um, you know, we were both huge dog lovers. So when we got down there, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the first things we wanted to do was to, uh, adopt a dog. Um, and, uh, came across the dog and I won't get into this because six years later, it still makes me cry, but we came across the dog, uh, and he had gotten hit by a car. Um, but nobody rescued him. Everybody kind of like kept driving past him. Um, so a, a woman, you know, a good Samaritan kind of, uh, got, him. <clears throat> excuse me, took him to, the vet emergency vet to get, to get fixed up and, um, you know, he was doing well, but I guess this was a really, you know, this was at a university. So it was like a really good specialist. Um, but what happened was when they rebuilt his leg, uh, cause he needed pins and all that stuff, they didn't put a drain in. Um, so it, just the fluids kept building up and building up and long story short by the time we got him he was septic um and i essentially he just died in my lap like nothing we Ugh. could do like he was so so there was that so that was devastating and then um so like a couple of weeks later we're like okay you know this time we'll get a Dog from a a, an actual established rescue, and you know they'll be up on their shots and neuter and all that stuff. So we got a dog, Um, and uh, the next day he started kind of like coughing. So we took him to the vet, and basically the vet's like, he's got distemper, and you need to put him down. Um, Whoa! So yeah, so we were. Yeah. And, and Jeff was, he he was kind of interesting in what he picked and picked and chose to put attention on and, and, um, pursue. Um, so he was convinced, even though distemper from what I understand, doesn't have a cure, he was convinced that he was going to be able to cure this dog. So, whereas I was like, I think we need to just let him go, you know, humanely, Jeff was like, no, I give it a couple of days. I'm going to try long story short, you know, three o'clock in the morning ended up knocking on some vet's door and being like, can you help us? Because this dog is suffering. Um, so yeah, that was another personal setback. So it was both, you know, not being able to get the truck off the ground or find anyone to work all that frustrating stuff, but also the other, the personal stuff, the sad stuff that was kind of compounding, um, that was making everything just so much worse
0: yeah i'm sorry to hear about the about the dogs it's never it's never easy i've had to put one down and it's probably why i don't have one (laughs) prefer not to go through that experience
1: yeah it's definitely not fun um and if you're kind of if you if you how do i say this nicely
0: um
1: if you have excuse me your intestinal fortitude is not very, uh, established. Um, it really, really does you in. Um, so that was kind of little did I know at the time, that was kind of the beginning of the end, uh, for where, um, for what Jeff could handle. Hmm.
0: Well, where do you where do you want to take it now? How far did the food truck actually get, or did the did you want to talk about the 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 relationship and expand on that foreshadowing there?
1: Yeah, we could we could do that since I just kind of um, kind of yeah foreshadowed that um, it was. So the, the plan had always been, he's a, he's a college professor. The plan had always been that he would keep his job up in Minneapolis where we were at the university. Um, and until we got the truck off the ground and he would come down, um, he was due for tenure. He was up for tenure within a couple months. So once he got tenure, he would take a sabbatical for a year, come down, help me. You know, we had all of that planned out. Um, so we had moved in May, uh, um, mid-May and then come end of August, uh, 2016, it was time for him to go back to, um, to Minneapolis for, for the school year. And, um, so I was, I was alone down there, which is fine. I'm fine alone. I can, you know, get stuff taken care of. Um, but what I didn't know, um, because he wasn't really communicating this with me was that it really everything that happened. So like the lack of getting the truck off the ground, the, you know, the stuff with, with the dogs was really kind of just eating away at him. Um, and so it was not a good time for him to be alone. Um, because he, he needed that support and, uh, um, Yes, I don't even know how to how to get into this without <laughs> without getting into the salaciousness of it. Um,
0: <laughs> we yeah, can always so, cut this out if
1: yeah. You, so the, the punchline is within a <clears throat> month he had within a month he he was searching for divorce lawyers online and he had met somebody um, and had started an affair with her um, and I found this out um, you know in a back ass words way, um, because I stumbled upon Google searches. I think I mentioned that. Um, so I thought it was, I, I was so clueless that I actually thought he was doing the searches for a friend. Cause I knew a friend was having marital problems. Mm. And like, I, now I'm like, how are you like such an idiot? But that's how clueless that's how I was like clueless. I was and how, you know, the facade he put on was that everything was just, um, you know, fine and dandy Um, i took a screenshot of of the the searches and jokingly literally i mean i can i can be passive aggressive at times but i was literally joking when i sent this and i was like hey you have something to tell me um and he didn't respond okay no problem um you know he'll he's doing something Uh so uh so like a couple hours later i tried calling him and went straight to voice, like he it went to voicemail. So the ring twice went to voicemail. And I was like, okay. So a little while later I tried FaceTiming him. And, you know, um, basically that lasted for three days. He ghosted me. The term ghosting didn't exist at the time, uh, but now, now it exists. And he ghosted <laughs> me for three days, um, until I was finally able to get a hold of him um via I I think like FaceTime or something. And um, he had this like flat affect, and he was uh, right now I say, I'm like, he was dead behind the eyes. Like he had no, no emotion. Like his voice was like flat. And um, he was just like, I've been, he he actually sighed. I laugh now because I'm like, are you really sighing at me over this? Like, (laughs) did you really just sigh? Like this, this conversation, like we're off to a bad start. Uh, so yeah, he sighed and said, I'm, I'm unhappy. I've been unhappy for such a long time. Um, you know, blah, blah, blah. You forced me to go down there and it was the worst thing I've ever done. Oh yeah. It was, I I bulldozed him. I bulldozed him into going down there. It was the worst thing he, he could have ever done um blah 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 so uh and I, so I was like all right well I'm I'll be on the next plane back to Minneapolis and we're going to straighten this out and he's like no I don't want you to come and I'm like we need to talk about this we need to work this out and he's like yeah no you'll convince no if I see you you'll convince me to want to stay and I'm like okay we're, <laughs> we're going on 11 years together yeah. um So I will, I will be the first to admit that, yeah, I do want to try to work on my marriage. Um, so, okay, I I'll accept that. Um, long story short. Um, he said, no, he's like, no, I don't, you know, I want, I want a divorce. Um, in that really, um, like something, something kind of like, it's hard to explain something kind of like snapped in me, not in a sense of, you know, where I went off and kind of lost my mind, but where I shut down. Um, And it was, you know, the whole not getting out of bed. And um, my, our, our landlord there, she was this, this older Costa Rican woman. She lived on the caretaker's cottage on the property. Um, She was like a mother to me. So she would come. <laughs> She, her name was Soleil. She would come and she would leave me food outside the door and then like knock on the window of the bedroom I was in and be like, I brought you food. And she would always, you know, she's just trying to take care of me because she knew what was going on. And uh, it was about two or three days um, where I allowed myself to wallow. Um, You know, I, I allowed myself to go there and, you know, do everything I needed to do. Um, but then something happened. I literally woke up yeah. in the morning, one morning, and was like, "Fuck you, fuck you." And I know you're gonna have to believe yeah. that or whatever. But oh no, no, like, I don't.
0: <laughs> We're explicit. It was. Here. It's all good. It was
1: really. It was really like you're not no, you're, you did this to the wrong person. And, you know, and I call it warrior mode. I went into, I woke up in warrior mode. And from that point on, um, he was not in control of the situation. Like you, like he, he wanted to do everything on the down low. He wanted to do everything behind my back to get the upper hand on everything, um, you know, to get everything started. So I didn't have any kind of anything to to grasp onto, um, excuse me, but, by stumbling on that Google search, I put a wrench in his plans. Um, so I came into it, um, at that point it was kind of like guns blazing. Um, and I laid out what, if he wanted a divorce uncontested, um, then I laid out exactly what I wanted from him. Um, and, uh, and I said, cause I will be so happy to go in front of a judge and tell this story of how you abandoned your wife in a foreign country. <laughs> um, so please let me tell the story. Let's go in front of a judge. Um, but you know, basically what happened was the results of it was that, um, I was able to get enough money, um, to restart my life. Um, I, I, was able to, I spent all of, um, like I was back in the States, um, mid-November of 2016. My mom came down, she moved me out and she helped me with all that. Um, and I moved back to my hometown, um, rented a little quiet house, you know, close to my family, but not with my family, um, and recouped, uh, for two months and, um, you know, licked my wounds and kind of made some plans. And then, um, restarted my life.
0: That's, uh, I like your, your warrior mode, you know, going into, going into that. Um, I want to come back to that, but like the last part about the Costa Rican experience, what was the extraction like there? Did you sell the food truck or how did you get out of that? So,
1: um, so by that time we were like, this is obviously, you know, we have bigger fish to fry. Uh, Our personal lives have literally just exploded. Um, so the food truck, so the salty pineapple is going to not come to fruition. Um, and part of our separation agreement was that, um, basically he, he had blurted out, you can have, you can take everything. I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want anything to do with Costa Rica or anything happening down there. Um so I was like okay so um I was like you can buy me out of the food truck cuz I'm not taking on the task of having to sell this thing. Right. Um, um I mean good luck finding two idiots like us like Terry found. I mean Terry lucked out when he stumbled <laughs> upon us. Um good luck finding you know another Michelle and Jeff. Um, so he basically just bought me out of the food truck. And even though he and I still talk, we're on, you know, amicable terms every once in a while we'll email. So, you know, no hard feelings. Um, but to this day, and this is six, let's see, this was 2016 to this. I haven't seen him since the moment he left for school. Um, so when people ask how long I've been divorced, I literally say, um, you know, end of August of. 2016 i have not seen him since then um and i have no idea what's happened to the food truck i have i have never (laughs) ever asked him what has happened to the food truck um so for all i know it could be still rotting in that costa rican um storage place
0: (laughs) wow Wow. Um, that's an incredible story. So in the, and not to stack rank tragedies, right? Cause I, I hate doing that. But where did this divorce and the, the shock and that bombshell, where did that land in the pantheon of your, uh, your challenges through your life? Was that one of the hardest things to have gone through?
1: So the way I look at my life is in kind of different chunks because I I feel like I'm kind of a master of like rebirth and regenerate like restarting and, and just building from nothing. So it, there's like my life has kind of been split into a few different um, periods. And um, in, in 2001, when I just graduated college, I was, um, a victim of an assault. So it's kind of like that whole th- I mean, that was, that was like kidnapping, assault, you name it, trial, like he grabbed somebody else was going to murder her and in, in the Wyoming mountain, like crazy. It wasn't just like, yeah, this was, it was just like this whole true crime story. Um, so that was 2001 and 2002 because I had to go testify out there. Um, So that was like the life, like pre-attack was, was the life. So then from like 2002 until basically, you know, I met Jeff in 2005. That's kind of like a, you know, early twenties, single female, you know, living life type blur, uh, which was fantastic. Um, and then from 2005 to 2016 was kind of, um, a very like stable period um, because, you know, I'd gotten married and, and all that stuff. So it was like, I found a, a a level of stability that was comfortable and, you know, I was able to, you know, start the next um, part of my life. And then that happened. So um, it was kind of like stability. <laughs> no. Uh, no. You're done with that. Um, so then 20, 2016, um was, was like a whole, you know, between 2016 and 2018. And then 2018, there was other kind of drama I had to deal with. So right now I'm looking at kind of three different traumatic uh, things. And I would say this would come in, in the moment, it would be absolutely be first, because that, like, like, I had my first panic attack. Um, when I found all that out, I couldn't breathe like on the floor. I could still remember. I could still feel the tile, the cold tile floor when I was gasping for breath, when I found this out. Um, and so dealing with all of that, um, it was hard, but it opened up lessons for me that I would never have learned otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a lot of prior to this, I had a lot of trouble being vulnerable, um, and asking for help. Uh, not my thing. Um, as you know, we talked about earlier, is like, I just do it. Got to figure it out. Got to do right. it. Um, but when you're in a foreign country, and you don't really speak the language, you're you have no family or friends there. Um, you have this, like, you know, your marriage fell apart and all this like you you're on your knees, like you're, that's as pretty much as vulnerable as you can get. So having to rely on, you know, the kindness of people, essentially like Soleil, like essential stranger, but she was so kind to me. And she, you know, she took care of me, you know, in the time between there was like a month between hmm. that. And then my mom could come down there. Um, so she kind of like acted like my mother. So, you know, having to rely on the kindness of strangers to, to get you through the day minute by minute is so humbling, so incredibly humbling. Um, and that's kind of, that's like the big thing that I I took away from that is that, you know, if you're, if you don't allow yourself to be vulnerable and ask for help, the universe is going to kick your ass and be like, "Mm." (laughs) So you could have done it the easy way and just, you know, gone along with it, but now you have to, um, so I don't know if that answered your
0: question. (laughs) Yeah, it does. It does. And, you know, I think your answer made for a much better question in retrospect because, you know, like learning from that experience and like how it changed you. Right. And that's, I think it could be a misconception in today's society that we are all capable and we can handle everything that comes our way. And, um, I've got friends going through things like, where's the playbook for this? Where's the script that you could follow that says, Oh, I'm facing this. And then two weeks later I'll do this and I'll do that. Like, you know what it's, I think it's an unreasonable expectation that sets us up for, failure and stress and disappointment to have the expectation that we know what the fuck is going on
1: (laughs) i think that when you let go of that thought that you will ever have control over anything that is the day you will become much happier um, and much much less anxious um, because you just you don't have control over anything. you you may think you do, but then you stumble upon a Google search and your marriage literally crumbles because of one Google search. like you you have no idea what's ever what's bubbling through you know beneath the surface.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I mentioned this before, is that I think the, the most uncrackable safe is another human's mind. <laughs> but then expanding out from there, you're absolutely right. What are we in control of and what do we know? And it's really not much of either. Mm-mm. It's not a lot of either.
1: Nope. So it's just taking the lessons. <laughs>
0: Yeah. it's my challenge not to take that and be hopeless about it. Right. Because if like on the surface, you look at these two statements, like I don't know anything and I don't control anything, then like, why bother? That's not the point of that. The point is to, I guess, react and be uh, more resilient, which is a, a word that just constantly re- you know, reminds me of you and these stories just to be resilient.
1: Yes. Resilience is, is definitely something, uh, you know, it, it kind of takes me back to the nature versus nurture. So, and this is something that I th- you know, talked about in therapy as well. Was it, you know, just me being second born that, you know, led to my resilience or is that something that, you know, part of it, I was born with and it brought it out because of, you know, situations, but um, I've always wondered if resilience is something that can be taught or if you're forced to cultivate it.
0: And where do you land on that? What are your thoughts on that?
1: I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. Outside your pay grade. <laughs> I,
1: I think that, I think you're, um, you're forced to cultivate it. To be honest, I think that um, I don't think you can teach it. Uh, I think you can teach tools that can help people become more resilient um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, they can tap into when they are, you know, in the throes of something that requires them to be resilient. But I don't think that necessarily it's a, it's a trait that, you know, even parents can truly instill in their kids. Um, You can take it to a certain extent where you equip them with, you know, the ability to, handle you know problem solve and stuff like that but when it comes to you know that intestinal fortitude that I that I mentioned earlier I kind of think you either have it or you don't you have the strength to know you're going to be okay and push through or you're going to lose your goddamn mind and (laughs) like have like some kind of break from reality um and make really bad decisions. (laughs) Uh,
0: I I do that temporarily.
1: (laughs) Make really bad decisions or the break from reality?
0: (laughs) Uh, A bit of bull, you know, (laughs) luckily they're, they're very short trips, you know, like maybe 15, 20 minutes. Um, I I think when I was younger, I like to say that I never met a bad decision that I didn't like. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it, some people, and I think, unfortunately, I'm one of these people where the, le- I learn lessons by making a shit ton of mistakes. And I, you know, I'm always just like, why does it have to be so dramatic all the time? Why can't, you know, why do I have to, uh, you know, my landlord to give me 30 days to move out? Why can't, you know, I decide to move out on my, it's just kind of like, just give me a break. Just give me a break. <laughs> I'm tired of it.
0: (laughs) It's interesting that you bring that up because I look at both friends and I'll say, um, high profile people, famous or however you want to describe it and see them. And again, balancing the highlight reel of social media and things like that. But from the, at least even the highlight reel, it's like, you know, not, not that they're lucky, because I don't believe in that anymore, but say, like, wow, I wonder, are they just making better decisions? And then are they do they have different lenses to look at this stuff? Like, you know, you getting kicked out of your house, thats there's no way you could have known that. You would have had to done exhaustive interviews on, you know, your landlord and her daughter and that situation. There's no way you could have known that. But mm-hmm. I I will totally agree with you that at some point you're like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) you know, donate to smudge and burn some sage or, you know, do some Santeria and some voodoo. Or like, what, you know, how does this, you know, but then maybe that's just part of our growth. And that's just, I don't know. I don't have an end point to that, but I totally agree with you though.
1: Sometimes it's, Sometimes it's, and this is going to sound so cliche, but it is about the journey. So, you know, that taught me the Costa Rica experience taught me the importance of vulnerability, but it also taught me things like, um, this, the kindness of strangers and that does exist and how, um, really, you're going to like this one, a really big lesson. It taught me was the difference between giving up and giving in. That was a huge thing that, um, that I, I knew you'd like that one. I knew it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) that was a huge lesson that I internalized, um, because I'm, I'm very, because of that resilient, I'm stubborn and I, you know, I'm a perfectionist and I don't like, I mentioned before, I don't like to quote, quote unquote fail at anything. Um, but there are some things that you just have to walk away from. Um, and that's the difference between giving up and giving in. I had to give in. I had to learn and be comfortable with giving in um, because it, it gets to a point where some things are totally out of your control. Um, whereas I think that giving up is, um, you know, after the first, after we realized that we didn't have anyone work on the truck, just oh, screw it. We'll just sell the truck. I feel like that's giving up. Um, whereas giving in, you're kind of forced into it.
0: I like that distinction. Yeah. In one of the books that helped me immensely, and I've seen this narrative through other books, but was learned optimism. And he talks about even the, uh, illusion of some decision or control that you can impose on a situation. And I've seen that in some survival books, but if you feel like the control, he further defines it as, a decision that you can make that makes you feel like a little, like you have a little bit of influence over the situation. And then he takes it down even further to be like, well, could you ask for help or ask for Soleil to help or you get out of bed? Like he, he, he acknowledges that at some point you might be in such a desperate spot that it's literally the decision is to get out of bed. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But if, And he just worked on the mindset of making it your choice and yeah, but yeah, giving up versus giving in, I think that's, uh, well, that's going to be the title of this episode, but I think it's a brilliant, um, (laughs) it's, it's a brilliant observation. That's the title of your, that's the title of your book.
1: (laughs) I know that's that's the, I keep saying that I'm just like, Oh, it's just another, I think I said this to you the other night. Oh, it's just another chapter in the book. Um, But you know, my friend the other day, she's like, I said that to her and she's like, Michelle, you're like on an anthology now, like you need to like, write this book (laughs) and kind of, you know, have a cutoff point. And I'm like, I am 41 years old. Like, I have hopefully a lot more to experience so to cut it off at this point it would definitely be like a volume volume one volume two um but I'm definitely looking at like 800 pages for this one
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's the Lord of the Rings trilogy <laughs> it is
1: it is and I'm yeah I already know whose Gollum is gonna be. <laughs> I, I, I used to say that, um, I used to say that to people, um, I read it somewhere, I was like, be careful, you're going to end up in my novel. Um, and I'd be like, you know what, just, you're not going to be a nice character in my book. You, you're you just not going to, you're not a nice person. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't used that threat in a while.
0: <laughs> well, I, I wanted to just acknowledge, thank you for, you know, talking about the experience in Wyoming too. That's, uh, I, I do appreciate you know being vulnerable about that and you know i'm always sensitive about you know i don't ever want to dig into the you know the extreme personal side of that but i do appreciate you talking about that too
1: absolutely i mean i will it's been this was 2001 so we're going on you know how many years as i say i'm not a math person many 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 years so um, over 20 years so You know, if you think that it would be helpful, you know, if you do have questions regarding that, if it ties in, I will talk about, I don't care. Like there's, you get to a point where when you have to talk about like such personal traumatic things in front of complete strangers and you're in the paper and all that stuff, you become, I don't want to say you become numb to it because, um, you becoming numb to it to me makes it sound like I didn't deal with it. Um, but it's something that I had to definitely get used to
0: maybe just detached from it. Would that be a more,
1: yeah, but in a way where it doesn't have power over me anymore, it doesn't, sometimes I forget, I honestly forget. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. 2001 kind of sucked for me too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you remember when you first realized that it didn't have power over you? and how it, how you got to that point? I think that would be something I would be very curious to understand.
1: Pretty much immediately. Um, yeah, I was very in, and it was interesting how, um, I was, you know, after the fact, after the trial, how I was described in the press, um, because I didn't fit the mold that people or the image that people have of, of a victim. Um, I was because I was able to essentially talk my way out of things um and get out alive. So it wasn't bad enough for people, you know, it, it didn't have enough kind of sorted details. Um, but I remember, you know, after everything happened, um I when I was brought to the police station, um, the detective was, you know, you know, doing an interview and he'd record it and would say something like, Oh, it's, it's the interview where I'm interviewing um, the victim. And I'm like, I just cringe. I cringe when people refer to me as the victim hated it. Um, and because I feel like that is where that's the point where a lot of the power is taken away. Like if you're the but I'm not, I'm also not like, I'm a survivor. I'm just kind of like, meh, whatever. I just don't like being called victim. Um, And I think that that is when it all kind of, that's when I, I made the unconscious decision that he wasn't going to win, that he wasn't because, you know, assaults so many people, I, at the time, um, there was a statistic, it was one out of every four women would be assaulted in their lifetime. And it's even worse now. Like it's even higher now. Um But I was like, you know what, you're not, you're not going to make me into that person. You're not going to ruin my life. Like that's, that's what he gets off on. That's what these people get off on. Like the power, knowing that, you know, he ruined my life and he made me, you know, I became, you know, had all these trouble with, drugs or whatever the case may be, like he would win. And I'm just like, you're not winning. You are absolutely not winning. I'm winning because I was able to provide pretty much an exact description of you. Um and talk about how short you were because you're a little man. Um, <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> he was little. He was so little. If like, how little I remember saying. I remember if he wasn't so if he didn't have a gun, he was so little, I totally could have kicked his ass. I remember saying <laughs> that. And the detective's like, Oh my god, who is this?
0: <laughs> so, would you just give some of the backstory to the events and like what happened? Because, um, I'm, I'm again i don't want it to be the sensationalistic side just to give context to to what happened if you don't mind because i don't know anything about it
1: um so i was uh excuse me i was 21 and i had i was living about maybe 40 minutes this was this happened in my hometown i was living about 40 minutes away in upstate new york um and i had come into town for um high school friends birthday party um so we all went out and um I, I had only had, I think it was three beers all night. So we went out, we started at like seven in this, and I left about, I think it was like one 30. So, you know, I just had through, I was completely sober. Um, and not that it would have been an excuse. Let me just say that right sure. now, but sure. a lot of people that came up in the trial actually, like how much alcohol I did consume, um, became an, became a thing. Um, so, um, I, it was about one 30 and the bars were closing and my car was, we'd gotten a ride to the bar and my car was probably I don't know, maybe four or five blocks away. And again, it's my hometown, um, you know, small city in upstate New York. It's not like this was, you know, a, a, a bad, a bad city with a lot of crime. Um, and I called, and this was, I don't even think I had a cell phone at this time. Cause this was like July of 2007 and I hadn't gotten a cell phone yet. So I got on the, uh, the payphone and called a, uh, a cab and they're mm. like, Oh, it's going to be an hour and a half wait. And I'm like, mm, I'll just like walk. Like I can make it home or, or make it back to my car in like 15 minutes. Um, so I walked cause I didn't want to wait. And, um, I was probably maybe about a block and a half from, my uh my car when i see somebody turning the corner so he he was coming down a street ahead of me and turning he turned right and was walking towards me and i immediately i immediately was like "Mm -mm, i don't like this so and he was walking quickly and and so as he approached i stepped off to the right i was going to like try to cross the street but he grabbed me he grabbed me by my arm um, and he, he was holding me close and put a gun in, in my back. Um, and he, and he said that, and I'm like, just take my purse, take whatever. And he's like, oh no, no, you're not going anywhere or something like that. Um, and so he walked me to the car that he had parked, um, right around the corner. And, um, he had me get in the front seat with my head down. Um, like I had to kneel on the floor, of the front seat and put my head down on this, on the seat. Um, and I. I remember, you know, it, you, your survival instincts kick in, um, and you just, it, it becomes what you need to do to essentially stay alive. Um, cause I remember, I remember driving, drive, just driving, we had been driving for like maybe 10 minutes. And I remember thinking, okay, so this is what these girls feel when they know they're going to die and end up in a ditch somewhere in a field. And okay. So, you know, kind of like bracing myself for that. Um, but I kept talking to him and it was pissing him off. Um, like I told him, I gave him a fake name. I told him my name. Um, I told him that oh, I did tell, I told him that I, I was pregnant. So, cause like, as if, you know, they care at that point. And, um, he's like, you're pregnant. You shouldn't be drinking if you're pregnant. <laughs> 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 oh, the irony of how he was so concerned about my uh, yeah. philosophical. Jeez, unborn the contradiction there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I was, I just kept talking. Cause I knew that if I knew he had to see me as a person and not just like an object, not just something that, you know, he wanted to have his way with or, or, or whatever and toss away. Um, so, you know, he kept telling me to shut up, shut up. <laughs> and, uh, cause as I'm sure you can guess, I would not shut up. Um, I don't take orders well, so. <laughs> just away. Um, and so he, you know, ended up parking, um, he, in this kind of like remote garage location and, um, you know, the assault happened and I was like, okay, so this is my, this is where it's going to happen. So I either die now or I try to escape. Um, and, uh, cause he had the gun on my head, like, you know, at my head at the whole time. So I was like, I have to go to the bathroom. Um, you know, so he's like, all right, I'll go with you. So I, I went and I'm like looking around, you know, at my surroundings and we were, we had parked, it was like this remote garage and it was I was surrounded on all sides, like I, the only, so, and he stood between me and, in my only exit. Um, so I pretended to go to the bathroom and I was like, all right. And I realized I couldn't, there was no way I, where I could run. So I had my purse with me. So I started kind of like quiet, like secretly dropping things like my belongings in the area. Cause I'm like, all right, I'm going to die. Um, and I want people to know that I've been here. Um, and so I, you know, I make up, I dropped makeup, I dropped, um, you know, a bunch of just personal items in this area. Um, and then he was just like, uh, he's like, all right. He's like, you know, walk that way, uh, toward the street, take a left and don't look back. Um, and I honestly, I was just like, all right, he's going to shoot me in the back of the head. I, I braced myself to be shot in the back of the head, like this whole time. Um, and I got to the street and took a left. Um, and that's when I heard the car start and he had gone right out of it, right out of the driveway. Um, and I ran and hid in some bushes by now it was probably, it was after three, it was probably quarter to four in the morning. Um, and I heard some, some young women come home. It was the bushes of an apartment building. I heard some young women approaching and I like looked out and, It was a woman that I had gone to grade school with out of all the people it was, I had gone to grade school with her and I was like, her name was Lisa. And I was like, you know, it was just so weird. And I just, I came out of the bushes and, you know, they were startled and I was just, you know, I quickly told them what happened. And I was like, I need to go to the police station. Um, So she drove me to the, the police station Um, and, uh, it's when I, you know, the whole process started, um, and I just spent a couple hours there, um, giving very clear description, you know, I described him perfectly. I described, I'm like, you know, this is where you can find the the location and you'll find all of my stuff there. You know, I left personal belongings there. Um, you know, I just was able to kind of keep a clear head through everything. So when it, the time did come for um, you know, me to be shown mug shots or lineups or anything like that. There was no doubt in my mind about who it was.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Um, <clears throat> in, in no way am I an expert on survival and all this training. I just, one of my favorite books is a book called Nerve and the Science of Fear and Grace Under Pressure, I think is the proper title. And I literally just finished it two days ago. And they talk about this myth that there's, there's heroes and there's people that are courageous. And they, and the author talks about how one guy has won the, the Carnegie medal twice and once was for saving two people that were drowning when he was about your age in the story. And the second time he was a principal 25 years later and the uh, former student came in as a gunman and he talked them out of that situation. And the author goes to great lengths to describe just how this gentleman has been full of anxiety his whole life. Like he just has been terrified of public speaking and things and all these other things, but he just was like, in that moment, and where I'm going with this is that only because that's fresh in my mind, how you just Stayed in the moment and were clear. And you, I think, what is so impressive and amazing to me is you had this acceptance, but you also had this cool headedness to stay so very much in the moment that it rivals anything that this author put in that book. And that's what resonates with me. It's not so much the the crime part of it, but how you were just cool and calm—maybe not calm, but just present. I'll just use that term in that moment, and it's—it's um, it's so impressive to hear.
1: Thank you. It was—it was another one of those things where I didn't have a choice. Like I—I I, in, but when I at the same time I say that I, you know, in the back of my mind there you know, I do know that there's people and I have people in my life who I know would um, would not be able to, would just crumble under under the pressure. And I think that that, that can get you killed. Um, that can, you know, you can't control what the other person's going to do. But I think that, um, you know, when there's such a heightened state of emotions and fear and anxiety, and you're in the moment, um, if you allow yourself to, get kind of get out of control you lose what little bit of control you have over that situation and that is your that is going to be your ticket out of it and you you cannot afford to lose that you can't afford to just crumble and you know curl up in a ball and hope that he's going to be nice to you you're you know if you want to if you want to survive you have to survive
0: well, it certainly explains why a food truck is not really going to get you agitated.
1: No, no. It, it's actually funny that you say that because, uh, you know, I was, a friend said that one time. Um, because, you know, when when crappy things happen, um, it's human nature to just be like, why oh, you know, again, what? wallow, wallow, wallow. And then, um, but I have wonderful friends I've known for, you know, many, many years. Um, and so they know, they know at some, at what point to take the tough love approach with me. Um, you know, they let me do the wall, you know, in the, the, uh, the sympathy and all that. But at one point, my friend was just like, dude, you always land on your feet. You always make it out of things. Like don't even, why is this even a different situation where you're, you know, wondering if you're going to be okay? Like, there's the shit you have made it out of so far, this is nothing. And so uh, that really put things into perspective for me. It was like, yeah, like I, I've done, I've dealt with this. So at least I'm on, you know, like with this latest, you know, these latest things that happen, at least I'm on American soil. Um, that helps (laughs) at least it's people are English speaking, that helps. So it's kind of like, you know, it's been worse. So whenever I'm like, oh, this is awful. I'm, you know, going through the situation. I'm always like, it's been worse. So at least, you know, you're not in a different country.
0: <laughs> I'm just so um, impressed because everything that you are, I have worked so very hard to learn and cultivate over like the last 15 18 years of my life because i wanted to be that and if anybody knows me like sort of studying these topics of you know high performers not in sales and but in life right and when i meet somebody that has figured it out on their own it's so much it it, it's just amazing to me because Like I said, I've listened to that nerve book, I don't know, six, seven, eight times and get something else out of it. But yeah, when I think you just hit upon just the recipe for not losing your mind in modern day life, it's just stay in the moment. And what's the next thing you need to do? And um, I'm not giving this compliment lightly. It's just so amazing that you figured this out because I know how the hard it's been for me to cultivate that and gather that mindset. And sometimes it's so fleeting for me, they gotta keep coming back to it, coming back to it. And um, I hope I'm never in a situation like that. And if I am like, man, could I do that? I'm not saying I've trained that uh, so well that I know for a fact I would be, but to hear your story and it's, like I said, it's the smallest things. It's your mindset. It's your decisions. It's your, you know, in the moment that is just, um, it's just a great story. And I thank you for sharing that.
1: Well, thank you for wanting to speak with me about it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. This is, this is, again, this is why I love doing this, Michelle. It's just such a surprise to um, learn about, people and just hear stories like this and then just um i I don't want to say the the inspiration but it really is for me just that it's like um this stuff actually works like it it matters and it it means something just to stay present so Mm
1: -hmm. stay present and
0: stay positive
1: like i didn't i didn't want to get into that whole thing but i'm definitely a um Kind of like a believer in the secret, what you put out there, you get back. And, um, so I know that if I keep my head on straight, things will be fine. It just may suck for a while and, but it will be fine.
0: Yeah. And when I've been in those situations, it's the hardest thing to remember, realize, believe, and just, you know, it's darkest before the dawn. It yeah. it will change. It's temporary and temporary could be minutes, you know, hours, days, months, but it's all temporary.
1: Yeah. That's, that's an important thing to remember. And it's so hard to remember in the moment. Um, so, you know, it's so hard, you know, when I was crumbled on the floor in Costa Rica, you know, gasping for breath and, um, you know, I, I'd gotten so sick from the stress and, and just, I, I was like vomiting blood. Like it was affecting me physically. Like my wow. body was like shutting down. Um, so it's hard in, in cases like that. It's so hard to be like, it's going to be okay. I just have to get through it because you're like, oh my God, like minute to minute, I'm like, my body is shutting down is so, um, but I feel like once you go through like serious enough situations and I guess traumatic enough situations, it makes it so much easier to stay present in the future um, because you did make it through that. And, you know, however, it was literally minute by minute, literally minute by minute where I would look at my watch and I'd be like, Oh my God, it's been like 45 seconds. Like I can't take this anymore. Yeah. Um, but now I can absolutely just take a deep breath and be like, it's not permanent. Like it, it will get better. I will make it out of this. It is what it is.
0: Amazing. Well, and, and thank you for sharing that. And I, 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 I know that there'll be a few people out there that still resonate to, and as long as it's one person, like that's all I care about, but it's such a, a compelling uh, perspective that you have that would benefit anybody.
1: Yeah. I and I don't think I ever <laughs> answered your question. Should you do should you do that uh, that food truck in Costa Rica? <laughs> <laughs> knowing what you know now, knowing what you know now, do you would you
0: do it? If I could have you on the team, I would.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I would being five years later, six years later, whatever it's been, God, even more. Um, I bet it's more of an established industry and I would not be against it. So if you want to resurrect (laughs) the salty pineapple, let me know.
0: (laughs) You got it. (laughs) Well, Michelle, this has been just a wonderful gift and I I just thank you for making the time and, and uh, sharing these stories and, and um, yeah, it resonates with me more than more than you'll know, but it's just, Again, my studies about resilience and things like Like that—like it's in a way—it's like meeting somebody from these books. So to have it so personalized with somebody that I've met is just wonderful for me. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Episodes of this podcast are produced and written by me, Matt Sodnikar. The intro was engineered by good friend Cole Weinman. And our original score theme song, Retro Funk, was composed by previous guest, and good friend, Randy Wiaffe. I also have two requests. If you like this show, please share it with a friend who you think might like it. And also take the time to show them how to listen to a podcast, either on Apple, Transistor, or Spotify. And I know you know somebody out there that would make a fantastic guest. And if you do please shoot me an email to podcast at thewarmfront.com. Thanks for listening.